Episode 11 It was open mic night at an obscure comedy club in Bakersfield. The small crowd seemed friendlier than the one in Oildale last month. They had even clapped and whistled for the last act, a woman who had revealed the secret life of the Jetsons' robot housekeeper, sort of a performance art deal which had probably gone over their heads. Kyle stepped onto the creaking stage and leaned his cane against the stool. He had bought the cane at the big new discount store on the edge of town, right after the doctor told him he would probably limp forever. He had found it in a bin with a dozen other completely ordinary companions, all priced to move. Kyle's cane was black with a heavy wooden handle carved in the likeness of an old man's head. The hair flowed straight back to form the grip as the bearded visage grimaced in either rage or triumph. People had begun to see the cane as a trademark. A man in his early forties who used a cane was distinctive, Kyle thought, and it reminded people of his accident, which had been funny. Sort of. Kyle set his glass of water on the stool. For a moment he wished it were a beer, but reminded himself to be glad it wasn't. He was also glad that this wasn't the missing link, where he hadn't been in months, but a room full of strangers. Though he missed his friends at the link, ached for them sometimes, he knew that they would lie to him about his talent, whereas strangers always told the truth. Bogey, he said into the microphone, eating a peanut butter sandwich. Kyle had decided to try a new hook, Celebrities Doing Ordinary Things. Last week, Katie had given him a book on screenwriting that explained why he'd bombed all his gigs so far, and why David Letterman's producer hadn't called back yet. He'd been doing shtick, as opposed to telling stories. Any clown could stand there repeating taglines like, Yo, Adrian! But a celebrity doing something ordinary and failing at it was a story. Kyle, as bogey, proceeded to eat his sandwich. Mmph, he muttered. Mm. He stretched his face to its breaking point as the tough guy tried to hide the fact that his tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth. One problem, Kyle realized as he rolled his eyes in mock agony, was the lighting in the club. It was too dark. He wished he'd thought of that beforehand. His facial expressions weren't translating for the people in the back. "'What the fuck you doing, man?' said a guy in the front. "'Ingmasandrish,' said Kyle in character. "'You look like you're having a seizure,' the guy said. He got a laugh from the crowd, which had grown smaller. Even the Jetsons lady had left in a breach of solidarity. "'You need an ambulance, buddy?' "'Mmm, mmm.' Kyle shook his head, lips still glued together. But clearly this was not the venue for nonverbal humor. A stand-up had to be fast on his feet, so Kyle transitioned to his next bit. "'Mr. T,' he said, at the dentist. "'Lame!' the heckler shouted. Others echoed with variations. "'Lame-o! Lame-o-rama!' Kyle, caving, went for the slapstick. He bent over backward, mouth hanging open, his finger hooking his cheek like some gruesome dental instrument. He stumbled, and his cane took the opportunity to clatter to the floor. Kyle collapsed on the floor and began moaning. I pitied a fool with a mouthful of pretend Novocaine. As he rolled, he glimpsed Katie at her usual corner table. Her eyes brightened and narrowed and finally closed tightly. Sitting beside her, Stick rested his hand on the back of her chair. That was as near as he could get to offering her comfort. Jackie heard them arrive just after midnight. She came out from the bedroom to join them, holding the shrieking Molly. The kitchen at night was a jagged landscape, with a nearby streetlight for a moon. Stick could have been the spirit of the place, a wraith under a cloud of hair. Once again, Katie's expression told the tale. Kyle paced, jittery and intent, thumping the floor with his cane. The Mr. T bit can work, he said, but I can't do it right after bogey and the sandwich. They're too similar. Jackie got the feeling he'd been saying the same thing all the way home. You need a more sophisticated audience, Katie said, casting a guarded glance at her mother. The people around here are too stupid. Kyle paused. Are you saying I should go on tour? That's what I'm saying. In the Reliant, Jackie said. 
All heads turned toward her. Kyle banged his cane on the floor. You're right, Jax, he said. The car's no good. I should get a van. I can sleep in it while I'm on the road. That'll save money, he added, as if that was all she cared about. A van would be awesome, Katie said. Can Stick and me go, too? Sure thing, Katie did. The patience can be my opening act. Jackie opened her mouth to speak, but there was no point. There was no point in asking, What about school? What about Molly? What about me? And what about money, for heaven's sakes? Kyle hadn't had a paying job since he'd quit the police force. At Jackie's repeated urging, he'd finally arranged to retire on disability. But the pension was noticeably smaller than Kyle's regular salary. Better than nothing, but not enough, especially with a new mouth to feed. And not nearly enough when Jackie considered that it was July, by which time David Letterman should surely have anointed Kyle as his sidekick. Jackie returned to bed. Between Molly's sobs, she picked up fragments of Kyle and Katie's plans. They would go to Vegas first, where Kyle, as he put it, had people. That meant Bert and Marion, Kyle's mother, in whose whiskey-smeared vision Kyle would forever walk on water. Kyle said Bert would be able to arrange at least one gig at the Tahitian, and that would snowball to other casinos. After that, it would be on to the coast, San Diego and then L.A. Letterman would be begging for him by then. Stick said nothing, but Jackie knew he was still there with the others. He would not go home until Katie told him to. Jackie got up, turned on the air conditioner, and picked Molly up out of her crib. She laid her on the bed and curled up beside her, her body forming a question mark around her child. "'What do you know, little one?' Jackie whispered, stroking Molly's forehead with her thumb. Blending with the air conditioner, Molly's howls took on a note of sober assessment. Ah, Above Jackie's dresser, next to a wooden cross, was a framed print of Jesus. When she had first bought it, Esther had told her, gently, that pictures of the Lord weren't necessary. "'You'll know him when you see him,' Esther said. Tessa, of course, had snorted at the sad clown Jesus, with the long sunlit locks and beseeching eyes raised heavenward. It had given Jackie a special pleasure to say— this is the art people really want, mother, not random blobs of color or a woman with both eyes on the side of her head like a flounder. They want their redeemer. Now she realized why she wanted the picture so badly. She was like the unpopular high school girl who'd finally gotten herself a boyfriend and had to prove it to the world, and to herself. Good Lord, how could she have trivialized God's love like that? And yet she still liked seeing who she was talking to, or thinking she saw him. No one really knew, of course, what Jesus looked like. It wasn't like anybody had a camera the last time he came here. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank and praise you. Her body ached like a bag of stones. She wanted to get out of bed and kneel, or at least sit up. In the beginning she had stood up to pray, as she did in church, lifting holy hands, or else she had knelt at her bedside like a child. But lately she'd been praying when and where the need struck her, in the shower, in the car, at the transfer station, for heaven's sake. Also, she had skipped church for the first time last week. She'd felt awkward ever since she'd interfered with Pastor Mike's attempt to heal Molly. She never brought Molly with her again, and had been skulking alone in the back like a bad student. This was why her husband was failing in his new career, why her dishwasher was broken, why this room was so unbearably hot, even with the air conditioner roaring like a jet engine. God was angry with her, rightly so. Hey, everybody, let's all try to stop the apocalypse, okay? What kind of idiot even thought such things? Father, I thank and praise. And then the Lord spoke to her. He didn't enter her. Jackie did not rise, did not collapse afterward in tears. God spoke to her calmly, simply, precisely as he needed to, in order to get the message across. Jackie, the Lord said, get a job. I will, she said aloud. It wouldn't be easy, but the burdens God gave his children never were. Jackie was 38 years old. 
She had a baby whom she couldn't stand to leave for one second, and fewer skills than a teenager. Her thighs had recurdled into cottage cheese the minute she had given up running. Her dark eyes had grown weary and suspicious. She made people nervous. She could not work at a fast-food place. The uniforms were always orange, which made her look like death warmed over. So, in the morning, she applied at Carl's Mart, the huge new discount store on the outskirts of town. The employees there wore navy blue smocks, which are almost dignified. Carl, the chain's handsome mascot, was embroidered in white above the left breast pocket. He waved from the cockpit of his little race car.